All right, a huge amount of text and WhatsApp and uh, email into us today, and we're always delighted uh, to hear from you and uh, on all sorts of different uh, topics. So if I don't get back to uh, the various uh, emails and texts um, today, we will certainly get through uh, some of them during the week. Uh, but thank you very much indeed for that. Time now for Global Politics. Delighted to be joined by Thomas Conway, as always. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you today. You're going to kick off with Ukraine, and you're making the point that Ukraine and its alli- allies, it needs a new plan at this point. Yeah, so we touched on this a little bit last week, and I was thinking on the way back in the car, what prospects do Ukraine have? What you know? What are long and short term prospects for the country now? Where are we now in this war? And I think a recalibration is needed. Uh, Ukraine needs to assess its options here. It's in it for a long war. It's going to be a long, grinding war of attrition that increasingly looks like uh, that looks like it will be the case. And Ukraine needs to prepare for it, and so do its EU partners. Now, we had a number of developments this week. We have EU foreign ministers currently in Kiev meeting yeah. for, a, for a historic session. They're outside of EU borders. They're hoping that Ukraine will eventually become a EU, an EU member, uh, and a pathway has been laid out for that. But it's still, it's still a while off. It's still a while away. Uh, and for the moment, the focus has to be on supporting Ukraine, supporting it militarily, supporting it in terms of its finance. I mean, it's staggering. The Ukrainian economy has shrunk by almost a third since the start of the war. You know, much of its budget is being backed by by the EU. It's it's getting foreign donors essentially to keep the uh, you know to keep the coffers yeah. going. Uh, so it badly needs Western support. It needs continued and persistent Western support here in order for it to sustain itself and keep and going. Is there any danger, Thomas, that that support is becoming a little bit uh, jaded in some way? And I suppose the big example is what's happening in Slovakia. Well, we've seen it, yeah. yeah. And, and, and there could be a breaking of the, the lines here in terms of support. Yeah, and for people who aren't familiar, this guy, Robert Fico, who who's, looks like he would be sworn in as Prime Minister of Slovakia, swept to power in an election over the weekend. Now, he hasn't been elected in a government yet, but he is known for his anti-EU, pro-Moscow views. So, you know, mm. really negative sentiment towards the EU and is leaning, leaning towards Vladimir Putin. A really, really worrying development within the EU itself, within Slovakia. And, and, and just for clarity, his view on Ukraine is what, in ter- because of course Slovakia is very much uh, uh, helping Ukraine and supporting Ukraine. What, what's his view on that? He, he wants the war to end. He wants the war to end, so he doesn't see a point in supplying Ukraine with this consistent stream of weapons because he thinks the Russians uh, will eventually overrun the country, in effect, uh, and take power. So he is, he's effectively taking the Russian line. He's on, he's on Russia's side in this. Mm. Now, he's quite flexible as a politician. He has changed his views down through the years. You know, he's malleable in that sense. Uh, but by all accounts, he seems to be pro-Russian in this mm. context. So a really worrying development there. Worrying, oh. but he would have to form a coalition to govern if he ends up uh, as Prime Minister and will that not dilute some of his more sort of... Precisely and you would hope, you would imagine that it would moderate him somewhat it would moderate his demands and his policies positions or certainly that would be the hope, that's the hope of I think a lot of EU Prime Ministers and Foreign Ministers that a coalition whatever form or shape it takes will be a little bit different from a from we'll say a majority government with Fixo uh, purely in power there but that's not to get away from the point that Ukraine at this point is at a critical a critical phase. Yes. 
asking for a ceasefire or peace talks at this point seems pointless because Vladimir Putin doesn't seem like he's going to listen. Uh, he looks to be a man at this stage who is dead set in his own objectives, dead set in his own goals, and is unwilling to cede very much territory at all. But is it not true that Zelensky isn't willing to have peace talks either until Russia removes itself from his sovereign territory? Well, well there is both sides to this. Yes. Yeah, and Ukrainian... Now, I have a few statistics here that I pulled out. 23% of the Ukrainian population think, only 23%, think it is worth initiating negotiations. So that's very small. Only 5% are willing to cede any territory to Russia and only only 18% would forswear joining NATO or would mm. would give but, up on the prospect is, of is NATO. is it the old cynic in me that brings up Churchill's statement of, you know, the first casualty of war is the truth? I mean, you know, do we really yeah. know how accurate these these? Yeah, are? And, and, you know, you can pull statistics from anywhere, basically, yeah. you know, and, and there are plenty of them out there. So it's just interesting, though, to see the picture it paints of Ukrainian yeah. civil society and the public sentiment towards the war. I mean... We can't we we can't forget here that people are dying. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah. Civilians are dying, but soldiers are dying in large numbers. And you're making an interesting point. You're saying soldiers are exhausted at this time. Soldiers are are absolutely exhausted. They are absolutely wrecked, fighting on the front lines for close to more than a year and a half now. Uh, you know. Uh, using all sorts of equipment, they, their intense training regimens have gone to different countries for training, and at this point they are exhausted, they are fatigued both mentally and physically. And the question is how long they can keep going because Ukraine has a you look Ukraine has exceeded all expectations in terms of its its position in this war. It has battled you, uh, Russian forces back to the brink, mm. uh, but Russia still has a huge military there and a huge supply of soldiers which it can draw upon um, and and that can sustain it for a considerable period of time into the future. So it's going to be really interesting to see what way Ukraine looks at it, what way it plays it. Mm. I mean, you have a number of options there, better security around cities. You know, Kiev has, has an anti, uh, a missile defence system and things like that. Could that be implemented in different cities across the, across the country of Ukraine? Because and is that now where you're seeing support? Uh, arriving to where, where technology is concerned. Is I, it, I think it? so. Yeah. I think so. We have things like drone warfare, which is becoming really prominent, the use of drones and, and other satellite communications. But people are starting to realise, slowly but surely, that this is going to be a war of attrition. The question is not mm. how Ukraine can win the war, but can Ukraine sustain mm. a long war, a long and grinding attritional war? Yeah, but we must also keep in mind, I suppose, Thomas, or should we be keeping this in mind at this point, which is the impediment um, that stopped Ukraine coming into the Union in the first place was corruption. Yeah. And I mean, corruption is still an issue. It, it is still rife in the yeah. country. And we've seen Zelensky, Zelensky has tried to purge it to a certain extent. Yeah. He's tried to rid the country of corruption. But it is still a huge problem. And it's a problem amongst uh, fellow uh, prospect of EU members as well. Some of the other countries who want to join, the likes of Moldova and that, uh, do have their own problems with corruption. But corruption has been a persistent issue in Ukraine down the years. There is also the question of who is Zelensky's successor going to be? You know, he can't stay in power forever. He's been a heroic leader. He's been a, you know, a heroic man for our times. Is there any number two? Is there a number two? There doesn't seem to be. Yeah. I mean, you have you have senior figures, you have high-profile figures there, like Dmitry Kuleba, the foreign minister there. Doesn't seem to be uh, eyeing the top job. Yes. 
nor do any of the other senior ministers there. So it remains to be seen. The question, there's also a question of whether Ukraine would be willing to hold an election at this point in time. That to me seems like a far off possibility. In the middle because of a, war, a, war is going, a wartime yes, scenario, yes, yes. there's martial law in the country. Give me your view on, and this is unthinkable for an awful lot of people, but if Ukraine fail to hold back Russia, yeah, well, what, it's, what are we talking about? It's now? a devastating prospect. It means it means a failed state on the EU's eastern borders, basically a state which is uh, puppeteered or controlled in part by Russia. It means Russia is that bit closer to the European Union's borders. Uh, it means Ukraine will not become a member of the European Union. The consequences are devastating and they're far-reaching. Now, on the other side of that, were Ukraine to prevail, we suddenly have a new robust country of 30 million people, uh, an agricultural heartland, an ag- agricultural and industrial powerhouse inside Europe. As I said, 30 million people there uh, added to the to the European mm. Union ticket. Uh you know, the, it's very enticing in many ways. But it is. But Putin isn't just going to go away. I mean, no, he's not. He's, he's, he's not. not going to go and away. there is no heir apparent to Putin in Moscow yeah. either, yeah. just like there is no heir apparent to Zelensky uh, in Kiev. But certainly, it is a grim scenario. It's a grim mm. picture you have to... You have to paint when you think it's, of that. It's interesting that the Democrats uh, with Mr. Biden, that they're playing politics with Ukraine now as well, aren't they, in terms of support? They certainly are. Yeah. And we see that Ukrainian aid dropped from yeah. that, that last-minute package in the yeah. U.S. Congress uh, just last week or over the weekend. That will have serious repercussions. Now, Biden has remained pretty steadfast in his support of Ukraine, but it's not a view shared unanimously amongst U.S. legislators. Uh you know, a lot of them highly sceptical of Ukraine and you can see that creeping in, especially in some elements of the Republican Party. And were Mr. Trump to come to power, and we'll talk about him more in a minute, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what what yeah. level of support will be there for Ukraine into the future. Have we any, I'm throwing this at you now, have we any idea about the kind of numbers that are dying in this war on a daily basis or a weekly basis? There are various estimates. I, I can't really put a figure. Yeah, it's, it's into thousands, the thousands. It? Yeah. It's cer- certainly into the thousands. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's been pointed out, Ukraine is using, losing many of its finest troops as well. You know, many of its most skilled and educated troops, its senior battle, battle-hardened troops, are dying in this war. And it's having to call in constantly scripts, many of which are reluctant to fight themselves, many of whom are, are I won't say poorly trained, but poorly experienced, have uh, little experience of this kind of warfare, of this scale of warfare. So, so you would have concerns about the long term. Yeah, the longevity, because Russia has, and Russia can pull on far more resources as well, so that is an issue. Now, we mentioned American politics there, and it's interesting to see yet another Republican debate going on without the presence of himself. Yeah, it seems largely irrelevant, doesn't it? It it really does. Without Trump there, without Trump in the mix, it seems like, you know, what are we having this for? And it was, I watched I watched the highlights, really, of the debate. It was an interesting debate, uh, and they, they got through a lot of different topics, a lot of different... Uh, subjects had a good go at each other. The likes of Nikki Haley, uh, quite prominent in there. But without Mr. Trump, it seems just largely irrelevant. Uh, and we have him in a civil fraud case in New York yesterday, yeah. turning up at a courthouse in Manhattan, but making the point himself that he's 10 or 12 points ahead of Biden in the polls. He's 30 to 40 points ahead of the next Republican candidate, Ron DeSantis, in the polls. You know, it doesn't seem yes. to be damaging his... But the current 
a court case could destroy him as a businessman. Yeah, destroy and it his is, reputation as a businessman. And, you know. and we even discussed it. My father made the point down on the way down in the car. He looked a worried man. He looked a visibly worried yeah, man yeah. yesterday. He looks a little bit, uh, you know, worse for wear and a little bit concerned that this was going to do him damage. And it could well do because this one is damaging. And the, uh, the New York, uh, the woman behind it all, Leticia James, is she's very, uh, she's stubborn. Uh, and she's resilient and she will be she will be dogged in her pursuit of Trump and I think that is causing him problems I think that is genuinely striking fear into Trump's heart but at the same time at the same time support for him remains pretty consistent across the board you know and that brings me to my next question to you I mean where the Republican debate was concerned then did anybody emerge as the winner of that did anybody I mean look did they dish Trump by the way they did, they did. I mean the lights of Chris Christie uh, who is uh, a governor a, or an American governor dubbed him Donald Duck you know and really hit out at him for, for missing mm. the debate but he uh, was a friend of his wasn't he he was a friend of his ally, a, former, yeah. a former ally you had former president Mike or vice president Mike Pence in there taking aim at Trump uh, the likes of Nikki Haley as well uh, calling him out Ron DeSantis had perhaps his most pointed shot at Trump yet even though he still kind of stood back and I wonder I wonder the tactics on the DeSantis campaign trail well he doesn't you know, want to completely alienate the Trump no, he doesn't, well. because Is he needs it? a certain degree of support yeah, of from course, Trump, yeah. and I, I guess it's a difficult balance to strike. But he is so far behind Trump in the polls now that it's almost impossible to see him crawling his way back, uh, bar something really drastic happens. So some really interesting dynamics to the debate. Another candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a, a billionaire, 38 billionaire businessman, uh, he adds a new dynamic to the debate. He's not going to be elected as the Republican candidate, but he may be one for the future. Uh, and then, of course, there's the issue of the vice presidency. Who might Trump's running mate be, be if Trump is selected as candidate? Will it be any of these uh, these people which were on stage last week? And the question, you know, the answer to that is, I don't really know. I mean, you have the likes of Nikki Haley there, who was quite a competent politician. I'm not sure she'd throw in her lot with Trump at this point. I know she served as UN ambassador in the past, but vice president is an entirely different role. Of course it is. If you don't mind, we'll hold off on our historic figure today because I'd love to give it more time. Because yeah, of course sure. It's the great uh, John F. Kennedy, and we will do that uh, next week if that's okay with you, because I want to just give it a bit more time than we have today. But in terms of what to uh, watch out for, um, I'm really intrigued with the violence in Sweden because it's a, in, yeah. you know historically it wasn't a country that you associate with issues like this. Well, it's a know? Scandinavian country, and yeah. traditionally Scandinavian countries have been the you know the paragon, the model for for how society should function. Their social democratic model has been widely lauded; people lavish it with praise. And yet, you have this persistent problem with crime and violence in Sweden to the extent that the former Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson weighed in on the debate last week uh, and called for called for action, essentially. Uh, the background to this was in the past uh, 24 hours in the country at some stage last week. Three people died in shootings and bombings, uh, Swedish news media reported. Andersson is from the centre-left Social Democrats. She suggested on Thursday that surveillance be performed by police officers and could be carried out by the military as well. So quite drastic and dramatic measures that she's advocating there. And it really is a quandary for Swedish politicians because this is a traditionally peaceful society. It's a, you know, a very civilised, civilised part of the world yes. that does well on most... Uh, 
rankings and metrics. We made reference to the situation in Slovakia, so again, we'll keep an eye on that. But uh, talk to me about Italy for a moment, because they're spending again. Yeah, right? they're putting the hand in the back pocket <laughs> of the bin, and, and yes. they're deciding to splash the cash. And this is Giorgia Maloney, the far-right Italian yeah. Prime Minister. We must remind people she is of the far-right, the Brothers of Italy party. But she has decided, after a period of, I think kind of more conservative economic policy that she's going to start splashing the cash that Italy needs to start spending to fill holes. Why now though? Why now? There are certain there are certain uh, uh, situations the Eurozone the state of the Eurozone economy uh, the fact that Italy badly needs to spend cash to inject money into its ailing economy remember it has an ageing population there uh, many people getting older the workforce the labour force uh, getting older and needs to be, I suppose, stimulated yes. in many respects. So this is called... But, but do they have the growth to pay for this? Do they? The, 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 uh, that's the big question, and yeah. that's the question EU leaders would be asking. And there is a big EU summit, I'll point to it, coming up in Granada later in the week in Spain, in which they can, you know, Ukraine will be discussed. But I can tell you, this will also be an issue on the table, because if there's one thing countries like France and Germany cannot stand, it is when countries like the Italians and maybe the Southern Europe European nations start spending. Uh, it really riles them up. It really uh, frustrates them. There are all kinds of EU budgetary rules in terms of limiting spending, spending caps and that. Uh, frequently, they're ignored by EU members. So this is another instance of that, another example of that. So it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, it'll be, a, you know, it, it's a quandary for George Maloney because she does need to spend money to get the economy uh, afloat there. But I mean, how much? And, you know, there are limits to that. That is that is the thing. It's very interesting indeed. All right, Thomas, it's always a pleasure. And thanks so pleasure, much Fran. for, for Thank coming you. into us today. 1800-938-007. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.